Digital is the future, and we are that future. Touch HD. Hi, everybody, and welcome to A Toast with Carrie for this week. We are focusing or highlighting a wine farmer who you might not necessarily be familiar with, although you would be familiar with his wines if you knew that he was the guy behind a lot of the successful wines from Buchenholzkloof over the years and Rustenburg. His name is Jean Smit. In 2017, he joined a property called Moyomika, which is owned by a Canadian guy who married a South African girl. And I had the privilege of tasting through these wines with him and the owner last week at Marble Restaurant. And he's got a little bit of a different approach. They're not buying or they're not growing all the fruit that they're making their wines from. He's on a mission to traverse the the sort of borders of the Western Cape and in some cases over the borders of the Western Cape to find simply the best soils to plant fruit in to make his wines from. They're fabulous wines. I want you to take a listen and then once you've done that, make a decision to go out and get some. It's The property is called Moya. In fact, I'm not sure whether it's just called Straight Moya or Moya Mika because the property is named after Genevieve Moya, who, whose mother was a, an ex-Miss South Africa a couple of years ago. Um, so the first label is called Moya, and the second label and the sort of top-draw, up-market label from this property is called Damazine, and you spell that D-A-M-A-S-C-E-N-E. And they've got Twitter handles and they've got Facebook profiles. You can get online and go and have a look and visit and see whatever. The wines will be available from Norman Goodfellows in a couple of weeks' time. It's new, it's innovative, it's fantastic wine, and I want you to take a listen and hopefully buy a couple of bottles and enjoy as well. You with us, you win. Case closed. Touch HD. So, guys, hi, everybody. Today we are chatting with Jean Smith, who is the winemaker, and I think cellar master, we'll find out exactly what he calls himself, of a fantastic, relatively new wine property in the Cape called Moya and Damazine. Jean, hi. Thanks for joining us on Touch. Thank you very much, Kerry. Uh, it's, it's an honor to speak to you, um, being in the industry for for um, close to two decades, um, and, uh, and thank you for your listeners for, for tuning in. Fabulous. Now talk to me. Your, let's talk about Jean the Man before we get to where you're at at the moment. Born and bred where? So actually come from, from Bedarsdorf, uh, so close to Arniston, my southern point as well, at Cape Gallus. Yes. Um, and during that time there was absolutely no vineyards out there, so... So I really uh, got my introduction to wine when I started um, going to school at boarding school in, in Salamosh. Okay. Uh, so that's, that's really where, where my eyes opened for, for, for the wine industry. And were, was your dad, were your parents farmers in, in Bredasdorf? No, so my, my dad was in banking and, and my mother in pharmacy. Um, and I grew up with, uh, with sweet wine next to my, my Sunday meal. So it, was, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it, it really all started for me later in life. Much later in life. So you went to school in Stellenbosch, surrounded by that beautiful countryside, which is is literally wine country, and decided that you wanted to be a winemaker when you were still at school. No, so I started uh, studying medicine, um, and then uh, in my second year when we when we started going into clinical, um, it was actually a, a good friend of mine, Peter Allen Finlayson. Um, yes. He, he gave me a, 
um, Hannibal from from back then, um, and then it was really for me uh, eye-opening um, and, and just kind of changed in courses uh, for me. And got my parents to cry probably for two months, um, and um, and now they're smiling every single day to, to <laughs> see the last end of my dream. So you stopped, you gave up medicine, and swapped to. Did you do agriculture at Selenbosch eventually? Yes. Uh, so I did a BSc for for four years at uh, at university, but uh, you'll you'll quickly learn that. It's it's not there where you we learn the, the the tricks of the trade. It's really when you when you get your when you're kicking around the stones in the vineyard and, yes. and started tasting and, and all over the world. That's that's really where where the learning curve starts and starts quickly. And of course, a lot of a lot of the whole wine thing starts in your heart, um, and you transfer it to the land and the soil, and then it moves into the cellar, and finally it's in the bottle. So it goes from your heart, from the winemaker's heart, and then into the consumer's tummy. So it's very much a a bodily thing, isn't it? It's a big yeah. bodily passion. Yeah. So you're you're key, obviously, with um, with our um, one label um, called Damascene. Um That is, that's uh, really um, exactly what you're pointing out. Um, I think there's there's many moments in your life uh, where you get those uh, perspective shifting moments, um, uh, and then that comes with family and all of that. But for me. I wanted to, with Damascene Vineyards, I wanted to express that um, through wine. Um, um, you get onto uh, onto sites, uh, sometimes it's not planted at all, um, sometimes it's vineyards, uh, or sometimes it's, uh, it's just the wine um, that really throws all those preconceived ideas out of the box, um, and you you really know that this is this is something special. Um, and, yes, you know, it's your you, sort of aha moment, and that's I wanted to refer to that, actually, because I think that's what you... That's what you encapsulated in the name Damazine. I think it's it was was it St. Paul on the road to Damascus and he had his aha moment. Is that what you're sort of encapsulating in your Damazine label? Yes, exactly. Um so um you'll see the label as well. Um uh, it's, it's all black and white and it's really just when Paul saw the light um and really had a one eighty degree um, change in his life. Um but it can be with, with many things. I mean for me, um I think the first time uh, it really happened in wine for me was when I was with Artie Bardenot, where I started uh, at Rustenburg. And I was still digging out a tank, um, and uh, he stopped me. I thought he was going to give me some sugar water because that's really what I gave to the guys that struggled to, to dig out the big tanks. Um, <laughs> and uh, he said to me, no, stop, this is uh, this is going to be a religious experience. And um, it, was, uh, it was just a glass of wine, and then I... I, I was mind blown, and it was the, the 84 Rustenburg. Um, and in that day and time, I realized that, uh, that South Africa is significant, um, and we can really go and stand up against the, the best in the world. And, uh, if you look at Bordeaux or anything, I really think if you look at, at those old Rustenburg, you can, you can really stand proud and say you're South Africa. We definitely can. I, I think that I've traveled quite a large number of the wine lands of the world. And without any shadow of a doubt, and I keep saying it, the South African winelands are of the most beautiful that I've ever seen. But aside from being so beautiful, we do have some of the oldest soils in the world. Um, well, not in the world, because the world is the same age, but we've got some of the oldest soils that we're farming wine on. And I think that it's starting to come through in the wines that I've been tasting in the last maybe three to four years. There's a guard of, of young winemakers such as yourself um, who have taken a completely different approach to the the wonderful privilege that we have with our African soils, and that and the fruit that is coming off those those vineyards is producing 
light, bright, pure, clean wine, which is very different to a lot of the wines that we made in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s even. Um, but we'll get on to how you're doing that in in a minute. So you finished at university, and your first job was at, at Rustenburg. Yeah, so I was with Rustenburg at, uh, for, for, for three years, and that's, that's when Adi started his, um, his pioneering um, stint in, in the Swartland. Um, yes. So when he moved, um, uh, he said to me, there's, there's no better person to go and learn from if you want to do Sura, because I had a massive uh, passion for Sura. Uh, from from Mark Kent, um, so um, I, I did my uh, close to a decade uh, with with Mark Kent, um, and then it's well, of course, we all know that I think that most of my listeners will agree that Buchenholzkloof is probably South Africa's most iconic Syrah. It's beautiful. Every time I taste it in a lineup, it reminds me. It sticks its hand up and says, "I am the best in the country," and I think it is. I'll probably get shot down in flames by millions of my darling wine farmers. But it really is a super smart Syrah. Yes, um, and I think it, it changed quite a bit over the years. Um, so for me, um, uh, I mean, where the name Damascene comes from is actually, um, it's an article that I read from Andrew Jeffett, uh, that you obviously know very well, um, being a writer and a, and a radio rep, um, yes. presenter as well. Um, and uh, but for me, it came with uh, with the '97 Syrah that uh, that Mark made, and that was from a property um, in Somerset West, which obviously classifies as as Talamosh. Um And when I tried that wine, I just I just knew this is uh, this is not Talamosh. <laughs> it's, uh, it's really um, you can put this in, in, in international flights, and you will really confuse people of um, of the style um, of its origin. It yes. Well. Mm. Yes, um, uh, and then uh, I mean that that very next year that that site was pulled out and it's, it's a parking lot today. Oh um, gosh, don't so tell me that. It's very sad if you if you hear those those stories. But it's, uh, <laughs> for me, uh, I mean that's '97 and it, it really struck uh, struck home. Um, I, I tried it many times and I just knew that there's got to be something like that out there. So with our first wines that we that we started um, with the Syrah um, in particular, we had 15 different sites only from Stellenbosch, uh, that we try to, to get something similar to that that is not the, the classic, um, more fruit-driven, uh, more extracted, uh, slightly higher alcohol um, syrups that you can get from, from Stellenbosch. So mm. I wanted to get something with a lot more perfume, a lot more spice, um, and a lot more purity um, at a lower alcohol. So um, that's that's really what we, we strive to do. And we we, we found uh, two amazing sites um, that we actually put in the first bottling, um, and um, I, I never hold back to, to say where it's from because I think it's, it's, it's sites that we need to celebrate. And yes. the first one is on the Parker Dry. Um, it's a it's a site that's that, uh, come fairly known in the in the past few years called Karibit. Um, that's where also Lita von Lofnabas and Rien and Bormann is, is, is doing some of their wines. Um, yes. So we've got half of that site by ourselves. And then also right on top um, of, of Carps, um, uh, we, we have a site that's around 40 um, meters above sea level. Um, is Carpsucht that it's, high? It's, I didn't realize that Carpsucht was actually yeah, so that. That's, that's the, the very top of it. Um, uh, so it's 340 right on top. Um, Karuv is about 290 meters above sea level, but you... But you eight kilometers away from the ocean, you you look at the ocean while you're in the vineyard. So it's so, completely different sites. The one giving you a lot more purity um, and uh, and perfume is facing the south, and then the other one facing north, right on top of Bottle Array, 
giving you that that background in your in your wine and just a lot more structure. Um, yes. And, and dark fruit and a bit more of that kind of charcuterie. Um, if yes. So, yeah. When when you left Mark Kent and Book and Hertz Cliff, um, were you poached? Tell us about how you left and and your current position because you went from there to Moya, didn't you? Yes. Uh, so so uh, I mean you always. You always uh, sit with your with your book at, at night and, and 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 making plans um, of of your dream, like just uh, what you're going to do with your dream. Um, yes. Then, uh, uh, I found, uh, oh, I got a, a phone call from David Cole uh, in 2017. Um, so meet your friends, um, um, Peter Finlayson and Peter Allen Finlayson. Um, so Peter Finlayson got the property. Um, uh, he showed it. To, um, to David, uh, it's out in Elgin, it's right across the road from from Paul Kluver. Yes. I, uh, initially, David wanted to, to get a, a spot in um, in Himmel and Arda, and David, uh, Peter Allen, Finnison's father, Peter Finnison, that started um, Hamilton Russell back in the day, and and Bouchard Finnison. Yes. He said if he if he could start all over, he would he would buy this property um, right across. Oh, the really? From, from so for the listeners' um, info, uh, David is an Englishman, and he's married. Well, is he a Canadian? I can't Canadian. remember. He's Canadian, Canadian, and he's married to a South African girl, isn't he? Yes. So, so Genevieve Cole. Um, uh, that's. Uh, and Moya Mika um, was in South Africa in 1959, um, and Genevieve is the, the last of, of six children. Um, but I didn't think the apple drops far from the sea. Is she just as beautiful as her mother was? <laughs> beautiful on the inside. Uh, I, can't, I can't explain. It's just a yes. lovely personality. And if you look at her mother, it was a, a nurse and a teacher and, and pretty much a guiding light for, for many people. Um, and that's, that's why we have the... The other label called Moya Mika um, in in her memory, um, which has a beautiful picture of her on it as well, doesn't it? It's a yes, fascinating it's a, label. Yeah, pretty, pretty much of uh, yeah, of mm. one of um, the old photos of that chick. So David approached you, and it's quite a bold move because it's very nice to be part of a very successful winemaking team such as you were at Buchenholz Cliff. I mean, arguably Buchenholz is one of the most successful wineries in the country. And it's quite a big leap of faith to say I'm going to jump out of this pond where I'm a very big fish and I'm going to jump into a little pond and try and make my stamp. How did you manage to make that decision? Yeah, so it's, uh, especially if you work with someone like, like Mark Kent and, and, and the late Tim Rand, um, he, was, he was pretty much the, the person that got me into the industry. Um, uh, to work for, for someone like that, so significant in the industry. Um, yes. And quite a bit, but uh, the Mark was the first person to tell me, go and spread your wings in, in a, when I got a post by David. Um, and He's amazing, Mark Kent. He's a big asset yeah. to all of us, actually. I think it's, a, it's something that the industry has got. That, uh, they, they don't want to hold you back. They really want us to, to put South Africa on a pedestal. Um, yes. Uh, we all know how significant it is. Um, Yes. Uh, so, so yes, uh, it's, it's that, but it's also um, being with with them for close to ten years um, to have the, the ability to go out to so, or the opportunity to go out to so many different regions to source fruit. I mean, back back in the day, um, the, the chocolate block used to be a Western Cape, so I had to drive all the way up to Pekingese Kloof, uh, all the way 
the O-Turing we, we looked at first as well, um, and so it's all over the Western Cape, and, and just to, to see how people open their, their farm gates, um, their doors, into uh, letting them, letting you into their homes, and then also to become part of their history on, the, on their farm, and, and yes. listen to the stories of them, the farmers, but also the people uh, working in the vineyards, uh, that's, that's really what uh, gets me up in the morning. At, uh, me too, you know, that's what I do love about... I do love about our industry. I was chatting to Christian Eads the other day. He and I had a meeting about something, and he said to me, how do we excite the wine flame in the average South African? And I said to him, if I was in a position where I was running a sort of a digital magazine of of sorts such as he is, our wine industry abounds with stories, just as you've said now. Everybody has a story. Every farm has a story, and almost every label has a story. And I have spent 25 years in the South African wine industry listening to and loving and feeding off all these stories that come out of our wine industry. And I think that more, we've got to a point where the, where the average standard of winemaking is so good that we've now got to engage the public in the story of South African wine because people love stories. So you can pretty much buy any wine on the shelf at Norman Goodfellows at this stage of the game and be assured we've tasted everything that's in that shop and you can be assured that it is technically perfect, it's it's aromatically sound, it's delicious, it's fun, it's good to drink. But you want to know the story behind the thing and I'm really on a mission for next year to bring the story of South African wine and all the people that, as you say, work in the industry around it. So you join David and Moya is, is his wife also called Moya? No, so uh, she's called Genevieve. Genevieve, that's quite right. So you joined them in which year, Jean? So 20, 2017. So all the all the wines that we released uh, just last week was uh, is, is twenty eighteen. Mm. Um, uh, and uh, I always wanted to do. I think a Cabernet is, uh, is is always been the the flag for, from Stellenbosch being the flag for for South Africa. It's um, king. It is so, king. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so that's that's coming um, um, mid next year. But we've 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 started doing that in 2018. And um, but we also do a Cabernet Franc, which is uh, is uh, also coming from the Bottler Ray um, Hills, um, but a very unique style where we where we do um, it's more that black radish and fennel um, um, and and very dark fruit you get on that. Yes. But it's at a 12.8 alcohol, um, and I think there's very little of that in the country. Uh, when I when I tasted it, the fennel was so overpowering for me. It's very fennel-like. It's beautiful, fresh fennel, lovely. So, so I think uh, established regions like that is is very important for us. But um, if you look at the, the semio, and and I recall you saying that that's going to be your final glass of wine before you it get was. over one day. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's, that is uh, it was yeah, it was a very big compliment. Uh, but I think if you look at the history of South Africa and the first. The first fruit that came in in the 1650s, um, uh, uh, Semio was part of that that mix with amongst um, Palomino, um, Muscat, and others. Yes, um, that was that was planted in green points, and that was all wiped out um, with black rock. And then they started the second planting that came in that they did up at Bishop's Court. Um, that was uh, there was still Semio in that mix. So, so if we talk about South Africa and the history, um, mm. uh, if you look at um, the late 1800s, uh, 93.7% of it was, was semi So that's why I needed to have that in my 
in my portfolio because I think that's, that's what history is all about. But, yes. um, but it's not only that. You need to go and explore other sites as well. Our most recent um, um, discovery that we that we found up in in the Sea Deberg uh, in the Cirrus Plateau. Yes. Um, that's about 1,100 meters above sea level. Wow. Um, very close to the Matrusberg. Um But when you walk in the vineyard, uh, you, you just pick up um, rocks with fossils in it. Um, and then if you listen to the people's stories, you hear that the whole basin of uh, of the um, Cirrus was was a lake back in the days, and then it broke open towards towards Wellington. Yes. So then you then you realise that you're really just a very small spot in this massive. Uh, we are a tiny that. speck, but whilst we're tiny specks, I want to tell everybody about the Semion because I was blown away by it, and I do agree with you. Semion forms a very important part of South Africa's vinous history. Which or where is the vineyard that you got the fruit from for your semion? Because it is completely sensational. Yes, so um, the vineyards that we work with, um, they, uh, as you come into Franschuk, um, it's just after and just before La Motte, um, on both okay. sides of the, of the main road. Um, and if you look at, uh, there's, there's a few that's planted up in the register, or if you look at something like La Coline, um, which is uh, one of my favorite plots as well in my time, we it over to to Bukinot as well, um, but but these are um, on alluvial soils and planted in 1942 and 1962. Wow! Um, so your crop that you get uh, is tiny, and we we get uh, ten barrels from uh, from 1.2 hectares altogether. Mm, so, so it's, it's very tiny. tiny. From mm. there, but it's uh, um, it's those vineyards that still on the alluvial soil that that could survive it. The rest, the rest of it was pulled out, um, uh, obviously because of lower yields. Um, but the the stuff that's left in the ground is very little. Um, it's just exceptional because it's still the the old the, the old planting material. If you walk, if you walk in a, um, a say a ten ten square meter, um, you you can find find five different rootstocks as well in one really? site. So the diversity that you get in that is, is immense, but then also we um, the mutation to semi-agri um, is something that uh, is very significant in in the old um, uh, semi or You don't find it in France. Um, um, you do find it in South Africa, and then you obviously have very old vineyards out in Australia as well. Some of them are yes. years old. Well, um, semion is a bit of an unknown grape or an, a misunderstood grape in South Africa because there have been very few single varietal um, semions bottled in South Africa. But just for the listeners to know, this semion, you know what I love about your wine, um, not only the semion, but in particular the semion, is that you've got such a fabulous balance between a lovely, tight, acidic grip, which is what wine should have, but you've got this beautiful, voluptuous, juicy, um, it's a mixture between citrus and melons. Beautiful fruit that goes on that on that um, on that semion, and I can just imagine it really lending itself to aging beautifully in the bottle because that's what sem does. You can drink it right now; it's completely delicious, and I think it's a serious food wine. But can you imagine what that semion is going to taste like in three or four years' time? So, so without getting technical, I think uh, the key for for semio is is the very low pH that you have. Um, so it's just inherent that you have a low pH, but, um, yes. but also um, uh, we we have a specific wine that's five point five pA in it. Uh, so you've got the acidity, but you've got a low pH, and and uh, that that really gives you that longevity in, uh, in mm. semio. If mm. you look at the 
even the hunter study, those people, they um, they have it extremely high acidities, but that's not that they ferment it in, in, uh, in stainless and they do it very reductively and you can't drink those those wines in the first five to eight years. No. But then, that's, then they only release them and that's, that's when the tertiary characters come, come through, that lenlin, waxiness. Um, yes, that, that, that oiliness that, that's so yeah. typical. It's lovely. But, but we don't we don't have the um, pretty much the cellar to to keep keep our wines back for for ten years before we release it. So so I wanted to make it in the style where it shows that that oiliness of of semio, but more uh, importantly is is the texture of the wine. Um, it's, uh, there's, uh, we keep it on the lease for the entire eleven months um, because for me that that really brings out what what semio is about is about texture. It's mm-hmm. not about working with the lease and butternose like you do with the chardonnay to get that battery effect. Yes, it's about purity of fruit still but that's, that's still getting that, that texture um, no it's absolutely beautiful so we moved on from the semion um and we tasted your what was the next one that we tasted last week i've got a list in my so, head so we we had a cab the cabinet song after that um and that's that's from a from a east facing block um uh, right next to Carpsus, um that's on right. the buffalo Ray hill and that we did in, in fudra and for me the uh, intent there was to to really get the or showcase the the tannin that we have on that site because there's an amazing structure in the wine, but we don't want to go into into um, smaller barrique um, to, to so that people can think that it's actually coming from the oak itself. So it's all in fruit, a thousand liter um, fruit that we got from Italy, yes. um, and that's that's really to to just showcase um, the balance you can get yes. at, at 12, 12, and add alcohol. Um, and then um, after that, we we obviously had uh, the Syrah um, that I just explained to you, and that's uh, that we do about 2,700 bottles of that, um, and that's something that we will uh, increase in the future because we we work with 120 tons, and we only bottle 20 percent of what we do to really just get the cream of the crop um, uh, into bottle. Um, but if we going forward, we're going to do uh, 2019. We've we've done um, uh, Cedarberg Syrah as well. So that's at, an, at 940 meters above sea level, um, very close to David Nivo, uh, yes. about eight meters away. And uh, if you try the two wines next to each other, then then you understand how you can have uh, such different styles with Syrah coming from different areas and. For me, I think um, it's, it's been done in South Africa where they where they can showcase the diversity of South Africa through Shannon. Um, I think it's a variety that you can really do great wines from, from yes. different areas and, and not just good wines. Um, and I think for Sura, um, one of the only varieties are, uh, is, is uh, Sura and then also Sinza, I think is something that you can you can do some great wines from, from different areas. So, yes. so we will... Um, uh, in, in this coming season that we that we uh, we're pretty much already in, uh, we're going to get uh, from places like Tudor uh, Park. We're going to get from the Sirius Plateau. We're going to get from Ilim. We're going to get from the Swartland. Um So it's really to to just go, and it, it will always be an ongoing discovery of of sites all over the country, and and really going to the public and and show them. This is this is what your country is like. This is how diverse it is. And I think it's a fantastic, yeah. I think it's a fantastic way of showcasing just how diverse South Africa's winelands are. And so, your farm. What grapes are you actually getting off your farm that you're bottling? 
So, so um, our farm, we will only do Moya Mika, and that will, at this stage, is only Pinot Noir. So that was planted back in, in 2010 when when David, uh, when he came from, he, his property was uh, Chateau Gavi up in, in Fronzac on the on the right bank of Bordeaux. Yes. And when he bought this property, um, and decided to focus um, on, on, on Pinot Noir when, when I took over there uh, in 2010, they planted it. And when I started in 2017, we made the call to only showcase um, Algen and only showcase um, Burgundy variety. So we will be planting um, uh, Chardonnay also in, in the near future. The property is 240 hectares, but obviously you can imagine 160 of that is planted with apples. Um, but uh, but there's sites that apples uh, won't thrive in that uh, that app, uh, vineyards will. Um, and you you won't just uh, pull out an orchard for vineyards if you look at the at the finances. It, it does not make sense. It doesn't make any, any sense. But yeah. so but the moya the moya fruit is going. Sorry. So just saying that there's there's slopes that certainly um, more suited for for vineyards, and that that's what we what we're looking at planting in the in the near future. Okay, so all the Moya fruit will come from the Elgin property and Damazine continues to showcase fruit from different sites all over that you all, quietly, all parts, all parts carefully go and uh, select. And then to the, to the Eastern Cape uh, just recently to go and explore uh, possibilities out there um, because I don't think we need to only focus on, on the Western Cape. You can you can step over the borders as well. well that's interesting. You so you think that the Eastern Cape provides a, a reasonable climate to grow something sensible in? Yes, um, I think it's, it's more uh, challenging um, when it comes to, to the re- weather patterns, but I think the biggest challenge out there is to have n- the knowledge on the ground. So people, um, obviously, they they do um, a lot of fruit out there, um, and uh, the people, that, that's what they know, and that, that's what they've grown up with. Um, and then also there's a lot of um, um, sandstone out there. You don't really get a, a lot of shift. Um, most of the houses um, built in the dips. Uh, are built of sandstone. Yes, so it's mostly sandstone, but it's, it's extremely um, it's extremely cold, uh, the units that you get there, uh, the proximity to the ocean, um, but then also um, altitude is very important out there. Um, so, but the thing is, it's, it's your challenges there, it's definitely the fog, Coming um, across the the lung uh, lung lung bar, um, mountains, uh, and and if you, if you look down the lung curve, it, uh, it stretches for uh, for many kilometres. So some of the properties um, are scattered uh, all uh, all along uh, 100 kilometres down the road. So so there's definitely a lot of diversity, um, but I think the, the lack of knowledge um, out there is, is still the, the biggest challenge. Are there any vineyards planted in the Eastern Cape at present? Yes, so um, if uh, if you look at uh, um, at the start, you will you will find um, so Ratif Kusen, he's got a property out there, um, and that's uh, pretty much the start of the lung curve, um, uh, and then also uh, going closer to towards Oturing, um, um, you will find quite quite a quite a bit. Um, but the further you go towards uh, the the east, um, there's less and less vineyards, um, but that's that's where I find it a lot more interesting. So okay. it's, uh, it's something that's, that's on the card for us in the, in the near future. Well, your wines are absolutely delicious. I had the privilege of tasting them together with you and David last week um, at Marble, and I thoroughly enjoyed them. As I say, the Semillon is one of the nicest wines I've tasted for a very, very, very long time. Having said that, whilst the Damazine wines are of shoot-the-lights-out quality, the Moya Pinot Noir is 
just like strawberry juice. It's beautiful. So anybody who's looking for beautiful, light, delicate, perfectly made Pinot Noir, the Moya Pinot Noir is delicious. And we will have the Damazine wines at Norman Goodfellows within the next week or two. We've listed them. So I highly recommend anybody who's looking for something special for Christmas, um, your Cabernet is an absolute stunner. Your Cabernet Franc is an absolute stunner. Your Syrah, I was just completely, utterly impressed at the quality of that wine, John. I don't know what you've done there, but you've found your happy space. You've got your sweet spot and you're producing fantastic wine. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. And I think the most important bit is uh, you you referred to earlier as uh, as what is the position. Um, and I think the last thing that I will say is that as a chief winemaker, I think you need to be involved in every single bit uh, from from the day that you decide on what you want to plant, uh, and then also also the, the vineyards that planted, and and then also in the cellar. I think you need to be absolutely everywhere. Um, and you need to understand the markets um, that you that you're approaching. So I think that's, yes. that's the key: is to be in, involved in all aspects um, and not try and put yourself on the pedestal. Um, it's all about well, you've definitely ticked all those boxes because I think that your wines are going to be. I, I know for a fact they're going to be beautifully received by anybody who buys them. So we will. I'll make a little note to reiterate them um, in the wrap up of this podcast. But anybody who is looking for something special and different and completely delicious, especially over the Christmas holidays, and to put your Christmas dinners and lunches and, and festivities with Damazine and Moya, I have to say, are very, very high on my list. So, Jean, thank you really very much for joining me on, on THD. It's been a pleasure speaking to you, and good luck for the next vintage. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And, and I would also just ask... Um, if people want to follow us, they can they can look at Moya Media Wines uh, on all handles, and then uh, for Twitter it's, it's Damascene V, um, and and other handles it's Damascene Vineyards. Um, so there's quite a bit happening there. Um, so I would love people to, to get involved. Fantastic. And thank you once again for your time and, and for the listeners as well. Thank you. Thanks, John, very much. Cheers. Goodbye. If you want to be the best, be digital with Touch HD.